I am pressing record as we speak. Okay, welcome to our 104th episode of uh, Dojo Universe here. I think Vin's out there in the world somewhere. I am. Oh, there mm -hmm. he is. It's amazing. He's there in the flesh, Vin Janowski. I haven't melted yet. New Jersey heat out here. We, um, I uh, have central air at my new house, and we have air conditioning here at the office, and I've been cold for the past several days. <laughs> I have central air in my house as well. Only half of it is working, however. I've tried on now numerous occasions to get the right part to fix my upstairs air conditioning. It's like the worst part of the house to not be air conditioning right now. Okay. Uh, now, is it central air or is it like yeah, window air? I have an air? Yeah, I have an air handler in the attic, which, you know. Here, I'll show want, you where to go. I don't even want to go up there. I'm afraid something's going to cook. <laughs> Here, I'll show you the website uh, that you need to to go to. Actually, I won't make it a real website in case it actually is, but uh, it's this cool thing by this friend I have. It's called achacker.com. Um, <laughs> It's a subsidiary of uh, pipehacker.com. There you go. <laughs> Don't actually type that in. I have no idea if that's a real you website can, or not. You can end up just like throwing malware onto your computer. Don't no, no. venture. Yeah. I didn't actually make it a real link because uh, that would, of course, uh, <laughs> potentially get us sued. But that was a little joke there, achacker.com, because Vin operates pipehacker.com. You see how that works? You see what I did there? Right. Yeah. Yeah. These some things are best left to the professionals, however, in spite of your uh, DIY inclinations. <laughs> so um, let's see, achacker.com. Oh, oh, good. It's uh, <laughs> not. A, it's not a malware site. Although I wouldn't recommend. I wouldn't recommend uh, clicking on any of those links. Um, that's so funny. Uh, anyway. <clears throat> I crack myself up. So uh, what's going on out there in the world, uh, folks that are here, 34 participants? I guess it's pretty hot in Virginia. Is anybody at piping school or anything? I know it's uh, piping school season. Lots going on uh, around the world piping-wise. been a couple of schools already in the east, at least. And I know piping hot summer drummer out there in the west coast of Canada is happening soon. It's always a big deal. Uh, Tom says, Good, great news. I got my first set of loner pipes for my band, learning the pipes. Any transitional advice for you? You've been watching Carl's vids on the topics as well. Well, one thing I would say is um, we are going to be releasing a transitioning to the pipes course um, sometime between sometime in September or October. Um, so we're going to um, release a new course all about transition to the pipe successfully. In the meantime, though, those videos are really good that we have on Dojo U of Carl working through those topics. Yeah. Um, and, and some folks have gone to uh, Balmoral, Balmoral School and the Sandy North American Academy Piping School. Those are always good places to, to you know, once you've sort of tried your hand at transitioning, going to some a summer school like that is always a good thing, too, because you get lots of hands-on advice, stuff like that. Ashby was at the Virginia School and going to a piping center one next week. Kathleen just got back from that, which is cool. I, had a, a couple of, I saw a couple of photos from that, the Virginia Piping and Drumming Workshop. That was run by the piping center, and it's like... Sorry, Bruce. And it's... Uh, are you, I don't know. I mean, you, maybe maybe Ashby can, can say, was it how it's well attended was it? Because the pictures I saw weren't very uh, crowded, let's say. <laughs> this is one of those things that I, always bothers me with piping schools. It means you have the opportunity to learn from pretty much the best players in the world, especially with the piping center comes in sound. And uh, you have a, you know, it's always a chance for people to swarm in, but it doesn't look like they're doing that. All right, seeing uh, seeing what uh, what happened there. I think the market is the mar the market's pretty heavily saturated right now. There's a lot of different piping <coughs> schools. About forty pipers 
this is pretty good. I don't know. But yeah, you know, you have to think somebody like something like the piping center. I mean, they're bringing folks in from Scotland. Travel is expensive, and you know, lodging is expensive and stuff. You have to wonder yeah. how often they'll do that without the sort of crowd to sort of support it. You know, but they they seem to not care because <laughs> they're all over the world doing similar things in Germany and France and places like that as well. So who knows? I'm happy to have them here. I can afford myself the opportunity, I would definitely, I definitely do that. I think Nate's right about that. I, I think in the real world, it's really tough to commit to a whole week of piping. Yeah. It's not, it's it's getting not harder. easy to do. It's getting harder by the day because, if you know, um, now that do, the amazing Dojo U technology exists, <laughs> your wife is going to say to you, why the heck would you take a week <laughs> off vacation and leave the family and spend – hundreds of dollars to go to this piping school when you could just learn from Andrew Douglas and others uh, for, you know, less than $15 a month, right. you know. Sitting in front of the computer at home in the office at the desk. Yep. Wait a minute. Are you being sarcastic? No. That's no. how it's done, isn't it? In your pajamas? That's exactly. Your I'm not even wearing pants. Never mind. <laughs> I, am, I, I am wearing pants right now. Yes. Exactly. James has lots of support at home. Exactly. Learn from home. That's what we're saying. There you go. It is definitely um, a big commitment, and, I, and it's and it's hard because most of the people learning are um, are uh, adults. You know, a lot, a lot of them go to these summer schools to get tuition, or you know, not kids who are off from school for the summer. You know, so they can just spend the week there, and not worry about it. But um, you know, but, um, yeah. So it is difficult. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, Bruce's band came in second. Well done, Bruce. Um, yeah, Ben Jr. is in the corner of the screen poking in there occasionally. Excellent. Okay, let's get on with today's topic. So we, the past couple weeks, much to Ashby's chagrin, we have been doing You Be the Judge uh, features um, on Dojo Universe and uh, – so, uh, and then some questions came up like, what, what should we actually be doing when it comes to listening to uh, pipe bands? And what are we actually listening for? And so I thought we'd have a little discussion along those lines today. So, yeah. um, what do you think, Vin? I mean, what are the, what are the guidelines to listening to yeah, pipe I, you band know, performances? You can take two approaches. This is what's always sort of, you know, I think most folks – whether they're beginners or even advanced players, when they start listening to pipe bands, they sort of take on the role as sort of armchair judge, you know, and sort of put themselves in that place when you really don't have to. So there's, there's, there's two ways you can look at it. You can say, oh, I'm going to think about this contest as, as if I were the judge walking around the outside of the circle, or I can sort of listen to it as an enthusiast of pipe bands and sort of create my own criteria and, what and use that as a guideline more than anything else, which is kind of what I tend to do when I'm listening to a lot of the grade one contests on YouTube or whatever. Um, you know, I, you don't have to be the judge. <laughs> you, you can actually appreciate the piping uh, from your own standpoint. And a lot of the times, if you know, if you're sort of listening the right way, a lot of the things that the judge is listening for, like such as unison, quality, sound quality, um, musicality, are all going to be in place in something that is sounds good to you. <laughs> so, um, you know, when I, when I, first thing I listen for when I listen to bands is I want to hear, you know, clarity of sound and good music, you know, for me, that's the bottom line. Um, if everything else, all the little details are in place, those things are going to shine through, you know, um, I want, I want a medley that medley that has character and I want something that has drive, you know, rhythmic drive. That's what I look for, especially with the back up with the drums, you know. So yeah. I tend to take the non judge approach, in other words, when I when I listen to pipe bands. You know? I think there's a difference between uh there's a difference between listening for enjoyment and listening uh for adjudication purposes. Mm -hmm. I think that's for me that's the big distinction. It's the glass is full versus the glass is half empty. Mm -hmm. And you could correct me if you think I'm wrong here, folks. Uh but here's what I think. If I just listen to pipe bands, right, if I just want to enjoy a pipe band, I'm listening to how awesome the band is, right? However, 
if I'm adjudicating, I should be listening to where the, each band fails to be um, awesome or, you know, where they fail to achieve perfection. So as a judge, and you can correct me if you think my philosophy is wrong here because I'm sure there are some with, the, uh, with differing viewpoints. But if I'm a judge, I listen to several categories of music making. So let's say I'm judging uh, the pipe section, right? Let's say I'm a piping judge. I'm listening to a couple of things. I'm listening to, uh, let's start with the basics. I'm listening to, uh, you know, finger work unison, let's say. Okay, now, what would perfect unison sound like? Perfect unison would be honestly not being able to tell that there was more than one musician involved, right? That's what perfect unison would be. And as a judge, I'm listening to unison, and I'm saying, how close or far away are they from perfect unison? And, you know, once I decide, you know, the degree to which they're producing perfect unison, that gives me a good idea uh, where the unison aspect of things might stack up against another band, right? So you could say, uh, mm-hmm. you could say um, the Vin Janowski pipe band had very good unison relative to what I would think perfection would be, right? And then, uh, then you could take other components as well, like let's take tuning as one example. Uh, can you honestly can you honestly not tell any tuning discrepancies at all? Is it honestly 100% perfectly tuned? The answer is, of course, it's not right. Perfection's not possible. But but how close are they to what I think perfection might be? A grade five band is seldom very close to perfection, tuning wise. But then a grade one band like an SFU or a Field Marshal um, can be really verging on perfect tuning. Okay, and then there are degrees of that. And then my job as a judge would be to weigh all of these different um, shortcomings and to figure out who has the fewest shortcomings. So I guess I, that's, that's me getting around to my point there, is adjudication-wise, I'm listening for the band with the fewest shortcomings. Is that the, way, the best way to listen to it? Uh, that's up for debate. And then if I'm listening for enjoyment, it's sort of the other way around. I'm listening for the bandwidth, like the most awesomeness. Yeah. For me, for me that's, 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 the, that's the clarity issue. I, I want a band that's got, you know, they got clear quality of sound, clear um, music, you know, music coming out. And that generally is achieved with really good unison, really good yeah. tuning. And you can, you don't need to worry about the little details about where the unison is falling short or, you know, what notes might not be in perfect tune when you know that it's either clear or not clear. You know, you just, as an appreciation, you know, as you're listening for appreciation, you kind of know, well, that's not very clear. That's a sort of a, a, a sort of a, a muddy, blurry kind of sound that's coming from the tunes in the presentation, which generally happens when unison's not entirely perfect. Yeah, and there's, 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 um, there's, elements of awesomeness that can exist without having perfect tuning or unison. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, veil, the Veil of Athol is a perfect example for me. Um, they, I mean, so far, and that could change, but so far they haven't been a band that's able to win the world, let's say, in grade one, but many of their albums are extremely awesome, and, I've, and I'd listen to them all day long because they're extremely interesting. They play cool material. And they're exploring awesomeness in different ways, right? Um, and so, anyway, there's a difference between that. Yeah, I, I think I think the uh, you know at a basic level, I mean, you want a, you want a band that's sounding good, right? They they produce a good quality sound um, overall across the entire scale, and every tune that's presented has that sort of nice pleasing tuning going on. And even if it's slightly off, sometimes that's not a bad thing either. You know, as long as the band is playing well together and the music is good, even the sound, if it's not entirely perfect, is still okay. You can look past it, yeah. you know. Uh, I, think, I think the issue, exactly, and I think the issue that we're zeroing in on is that I think a judge has a different role than a, li- mm-hmm. than a listener or a hobbyist. I mean, that's, that was your original point, I think. Then. Right. And, then, um, and then Bruce says, my definition of awesomeness is different than Vin's. And I think that's, that's um, true, and I think that's a good thing, right, for us to have different opinions. The question is, um, the question is what, uh, what level of opinion of awesomeness is acceptable when adjudicating? 
Uh, and I'm a, I'm a minimalist, right? I, I try to take my opinions out of the matter when I'm adjudicating, and I listen to things that should be fundamentally true, and I listen for those shortcomings so that mm-hmm. it doesn't get into, well, I liked, uh, I thought Field Marshall's medley was a lot more exciting than SFU's medley, so I gave them first. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's an irresponsible way to adjudicate uh, bands. Uh, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, meanwhile, I, th- I think there are some out there who disagree with me. Because that, there's a lot of that that goes on. Oh, yeah. And you hear that all the time when the, when the bands come out and, you know, the, the, the medleys finish and the crowd is hooting and hollering for the band that came in, you know, fifth. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, um, you know, it's like what's what's pleasing to the audience? I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I mean, like that's where the sort of the balance lies, especially if you're trying to think, you know, listen critically, um, you know, sort of approaching the adjudicating mindset as well as sort of appreciating, you know, the performance um, yeah. You know what? What? How do you strike that balance? Something that's really musically exciting might not win the contest, but boy, you're sure glad you heard it. <laughs> you were there to hit listen, you know? Yeah, no kidding, absolutely. So now Gary asks the million dollar question: Are the standards shared by all as standards? Do the competing bands know what the standards are? Sounds to me like each judge brings his or her views to the event. That is a that is the million-dollar question, and I don't think we've answered it as a culture yet. Yeah. For example, I think it's pretty clear. It's not necessarily 100% clear, but I think it's, it's very clear in the figure skating world right, what the standards are and what people are going to need to do in order to be competitive. I think it's significantly less clear uh, in the bagpiping world. Right. Even then, other forms, if you look at DCI competition in America, right, similar sort of thing large groups competing, um, you know, competing programs against other groups' programs. Uh, DCI is way more clear about what they're going to need to have. And there is an element of artistic, subjective opinion, but, you know, uh, those are balanced in very specific ways to the actual technical aspects. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, and, you know, in, say, an MSR contest where, you know, the tunes have a pretty sort of defined set of sort of standards in their presentation, there are still going to be nuances there uh, and differences of opinion on how some of those tunes should be presented. You know, there's lots of differing opinions on how a 2-4 march or what constitutes, say, quote, a good 2-4 march, right? And there's still things bands can do to spice it up um, within, within the, you know, sort of the boundaries of those, that idiom, you know? Um, so then it becomes a matter of taste, you know? Like how you know how square does your stress bay need to be before your judge sort of says, oh well that was too square, you know, or how you know round does your reel have to be before the judge starts thinking, ooh that's that's just not the way it should be played, you know. Um, I think certainly bands pushed that envelope both ways, you know, and uh, depending uh, on there's, you know there's too much magic, there's too much magic, fairy dust, and mystery involved in bagpiping. <laughs> Yes. Way too much. It's one of my fundamental thesis theses. It's one of my fundamental ideas. One of the one of the main reasons we do this whole thing at the dojo is um, now I love fairy dust and magic and mystery. I love these things, but there uh, but there are lots of things that we attribute to uh, fairy dust, magic, and mystery that are no such thing. For example, exactly how square or uh, or expressive should a Strauss Bay be played? Well, I can, I can tell you exactly, objectively, um, the answer to that question, but very few others can't. Not because they're bad people, but because it hasn't really yet been demanded, right? Like the mm. world hasn't really demanded an exact definition of uh, how to play a Strauss Bay yet. We're getting closer. Um, I demand it, right? I need to know. I can't sleep at night when I tell my students, like, uh, when I tell my students to just hold and cut notes all day. I have trouble sleeping at night. <laughs> I need to know, like, I need to know objectively what's the end goal. What exactly are we trying to do? And I think that's going to happen in the next 10, 20 years. Is there's going in a, a more objective way of looking at things is going to emerge. I think that's the next big important step. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with regard to like listening to pipe bands when you're listening for these kinds of things, and in you know these things evolve as you gain more knowledge. You know, if you're sort of a beginner and you don't know what you're listening for. Maybe you're not sure how a Strathspey should be played or even what it should sound like. But that means that you just need that 
additional learning. You know, go out and seek it, and so you know and listen to the bands and, and, and understand what's happening. I mean, you know, how, how you listen to the pipe band is really going to be a matter, too, of what lens you're using. So your experience level is always going to be playing a part in how you're listening to those tunes. Um, something that sounds, you know, you could listen to six grade one bands and they all sound awesome <laughs> in an MSR contest. Um, but, you know, you, how you think, you individually think those tunes should be played or what is pleasing to you really is what you're thinking about, what should be thinking about anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it serves you well to be the judge um, and think think critically about all these little details like unison and, and uh, sort of music issues until you've reached that sort of level of knowledge. You can strictly appreciate it for what it is, you know. Um, yes. Um, there's a little bit of a sub-discussion going on here um, about playing tunes that the audience recognizes. Um, now, we're talking a little bit about competitive pipe bands. That's the angle I'm coming from. So the Scout and the Brave example is not relevant. However, um, you know, playing tunes that your audience recognizes or that they can relate to is a really important aspect of selecting material. So it's not going to be Scott and the Brave or Kumbaya, in the case of Bruce here, that bands are going to play. But you'll notice that bands that play recognizable material in their medleys um, will do better in the results than, do, than those who don't. Right. Right, and I think even that's so, it's not even so much recognizable tunes; it's recognizable uh, rhythms and patterns, right? Tunes, especially Scottish music, has a lot of similar, you know, a lot of tunes and say a lot of reels have similar patterns, right? Uh, similar similar melody lines, and snippets and phrases that are familiar to the listeners, you know. So yeah. they're gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna garner a response, you know, when they hear a strathspey that's got a similar kind of rhythm to a lot of other strathspeys that you know, even though you don't know this one in particular, um, it's going to get a response from the judge too. So um, it's always definitely something to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Nate was just pointing out, I wasn't thinking recognizable so much as why the crowd goes wild for the fifth place band. Well, sometimes the fifth place band really goes for it, you know? Um, yeah. There's really only one audience on earth that really will react to um, pipe band uh, competitive selections. And that is the Scottish pipe band listening audience, especially the one in the grandstand at the Worlds. That's why the Worlds is so important, right? Uh, because if, if um, uh, our band, the Stuart Highlanders, goes out and plays our medley in, in America, you know, we, get like, we might get like a nice little golf clap or something. <laughs> Um, but, the, but if we play it in Scotland, it's so much more fun. I think that's I think that's part of it. Yeah. That's where you have to go to get that uh, mm -hmm. that sort of reaction. Yeah, there's and there's a level of taste involved too. You know, it's, it's like when you're listening to pipe bands. You know, your personal tastes in music are going to sort of determine whether or not you clap furiously after that band's finished, or you just sort of give them the polite tap on the fingers. Um, you know, and I think the Scottish crowd has a definite. There's definite taste going on there. Like I think they respond to things that are musical and really sort of, um, I don't know, have real good quality going on there. Versus say the the crowd who sort of shrieks at the end of some gimmicky kind of you know, you know, right. multi-layered harmony that has absolutely no musical structure whatsoever. Um, you know, but sounds cool because it's got lots of cool rhythms in it or something. You know, they clap with their pinkies up in Scotland though. Have you noticed yeah. that? I don't that, no. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, let's go on to some nitty-gritty. So that's a good little discussion point. Um, uh, what are some of the things, when we listen to a pipe band, what are some of the things that we listen for? Let's have a, let's have a little uh, crowd participation moment. What are the main elements that we listen for? I'm going to type it in the notes section up here. Okay, Kathleen says clean, start, and finish. Good. Next, next let's see, uh, blowing tone. So good tonal quality. I'm with you on that one. Keep them coming, folks. Timing or rhythms, yeah. Nate says in tune together. I like it. Uh, clean note changes. Very good. 
tonal balance, we could talk about that one a little bit. Clean percussion. Rhythmic consistency. That's what I put that in there. Sort of a consistency. That's timing rhythms, but that's really what you're looking for. You're looking for consistency. Phrasing and expression. Kurt says unison. Very good. Uh, some of these are uh, I probably typed in more than once. Drums and pipes playing together. That's weird. Uh, rhythmic consistency. Yeah, note errors, right? Melody note errors. Loving it. Yeah, here's a bunch, a bunch of stuff. Um, I have one. How about clarity of embellishments? Something that very few people listen to. I listen to all the time. When a band has, you know, when a grade one band has 18 different interpretations of how to play a D throw, for me, uh, that's not like the greatest, right? Clarity of tone and tuning. We already have that there, Les, but that's a good point. Yeah, harmonies uh, and quality of arrangement. Cool, I like that. How about like tempo uh, and excitement level, you know? It's something to consider. It's not necessarily, if one band plays faster than another band, that doesn't make them better, right? But have they selected the appropriate tempo and feel? Right. And, and, and right, exactly. And then does that tempo sort of add to the level of excitement that they're shooting for um, in, the, in the tune or tunes? Turnout and presentation. I'm not going to write that. I'm not going to write that down, Stuart, because um, today we're talking mostly about how the band sounds. Uh, but needless to say, presentation will play some small role in what the judge's opinion of a band would be, wouldn't it? And there's something to be said for having a ton of people playing around playing awesome. Imagine mm -hmm. kills. <laughs> that adds to visual aspects that are, I think are important, or probably a lot more important than we realize. Nate asks, does quality of arrangement come into play towards uh, your listening expectations? The answer is only if it's particularly exceptional one way or the other, right? So if the arrangement is particularly nauseating, and sometimes you get bands where the presentation is just completely um, not in good tastes and not doing just, uh, not doing, you know, or not paying respect to the idiom, right? That could be really bad. And then if you get an instance where the quality of arrangement is particularly exceptional, that will weigh into it. Uh, but, you know, exceptional on the good side, but you can't let it, um, you can't let it, um, you can't let the fact that you liked somebody's arrangement um, dictate whether or not they beat a band that was superior in the fundamental aspects of things. Like you can't just let it, you know, because that's happened before. It happened um, it happened at uh, uh, a contest that I recently played in, in the Peabrock contest, right? I uh, recently played in a contest where the judge said out loud, I'm going to throw out many of the things that fundamentally go into producing a good uh, Peabrock, and instead I'm just going to uh, pick winners based on the tunes that I liked the best and seemed to have the most emotion. And for me, um, that's not a good thing. In my opinion, particularly when you're judging, you know, when things, when, particularly when things are a certain list of criteria, like you just listed a bunch of things here. Each one of these, in the mind of the judge, is going to have a score attached to it in their minds um, when it comes to actually placing bands um, in a contest. You know, that happens in solos as well. Like all these things are sort of get some of them. Some judges even use a numerical system to do that. Um, so. So. Yeah. Yeah. So you try not to. I try not to. I, I try not to let my opinion of an arrangement affect my result, unless two things are perfectly equal, right? Like, let's say Field Marshall played and SFU played, and I honestly, when I weighed everything together, I determined that both bands were fundamentally, you know, relatively equal. Then I might say, well, you know, um, the uh, harmonic arrangement was superior in this. You know, you might go down that road 
all mm -hmm. other things being equal. I think but, a, a good example of, of bringing up SFU was their 400% medley, right, from a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, I think that was a good example because that didn't necessarily sort of fall into this, to the bagpipe music idiom, but at the same time, the arrangement was really, really good. I didn't particularly like it from my standpoint of taste, but I cannot argue with its with its presentation and its yeah. Uh, but I think you know I think it's also an example of um, the judges didn't like the arrangement either, and they were right. penalized for it. Now whether right. or not it was right to penalize them for an arrangement that the judges didn't love, you know that that goes into a weird gray area, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and but that's that's exactly a good example of what you're talking about. You know, it's like well, how where does that sort of balance fall into place depending on which judge is judging and all of this other stuff that people sort of debate about. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, like music is music, and if you're going to sort of push the envelope in terms of just quality of arrangement and presentation, then you know, I don't know, it's got to be clear. I don't know. It's it's a very funny area when you're talking about all things like you said, all things being equal. Um, especially in a contest like that. Exactly. Well, let me, um, so, so we have some good brainstorms here. Let me just share with you guys, right? If I used the, uh, if I used the dojo fundamentals, we can encompass many of these things just by going through the fundamentals, right? So we have, so for me, I, I break down bagpipe fundamentals into finger work and instrument, okay? Um, so hopefully you guys can see what I'm typing up here. So finger work, as you know, right? Scale navigation, Basic rhythm, whoops, that's annoying. Uh, basic rhythm, uh, and then uh, grace note quality, uh, embellishment quality. Uh, five, we, we, sh we sort of abbreviate the number five by calling it ALAP ASAP, or how small scale uh, expression works, and then uh, pulsing or phrasing is step six, um, how larger phrases are sculpted, okay? So that's, that's at least my starting point. So I'm going to go through this checklist in my brain every time I listen to a pipe band. So are, is the band navigating the scale cleanly? Uh, are, are, are the basic rhythms and tempos good? Are the grace notes nice and crisp and allowing for the melody notes to come through well? Is everyone playing embellishments? Uh, correctly and in unison with each other, right? ALAP ASAP, does everybody have a good idea of how to handle dots and cuts? Are they doing it well? Are they doing it in unison? And then lastly, is the musical phrase played, um, you know, in a musical way with tons of unison? So I guess when listening to a band, all six of above, it, you know, all six of above, good fundamentals, question mark, and in good unison. Right. So and then uh, so that's the finger work side of things. Then we look at the instrument side of things. We don't really need to worry about from a listening standpoint um, maintenance because you know uh, maintenance doesn't make a sound. So we we can sort of skip that. We're not going to be listening for good maintenance. Uh, let's see. Number two is tonal quality. So uh, is tone is tonal quality good? question mark, and is it steadily blown, right? And then three, tuning is the big one, right? Uh, and then we can listen to, uh, you know, drone tuning and chanter tuning. Uh, is it all perfect and in perfect unison? Uh, does, it, does it stay that way for the whole performance or just for elements? Of the performance. I think that's a that's a key point in all of this stuff too. That's in the entire list. It's really about over time, right? Well, from the start of the performance to the end of the performance, are all of these things present, um, and are all of these things working? You know. Yep. And then th there is a third thing. If I was an ensemble judge, there would be integration uh, elements as well. Uh, but notice how notice how I'm going to talk about that last. I want to start with basic fundamentals, finger work, and instrument. Gary says. Um, sounds like unison is your major viewpoint or standard. And yes, absolutely, that is the number one, uh, that's the number one fundamental truth that all musical ensembles should have, is everything that happens in that ensemble 
um, should create uh, perfect idyllic unison at all times. Mm -hmm. Right? Sometimes, you know, sometimes we play harmonies, right? So obviously we're not playing the same notes as our counterparts, but what we are playing is fused perfectly in unison the way it was intended with others, right? Obviously, drummers are different than pipers, right. but what we're doing needs to be executed in perfect unison exactly. the way that it was intended. And, and the music's moving, right? You know, phrase to phrase, even in any tune, it's like things are moving. You have embellishments and, and you know, the, the, the music is moving and there's notes happening in time and in rhythm and the unison is key. You know, we have to, everything has to be happening at the same time, um, whatever they're trying to do. Better word than unison might be unity. Well, same prefix, right? It's the same, exact same idea, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I lump all of that stuff from an, from an appreciation standpoint, listening to clarity, like I said earlier. It's just like things have to be clear musically, uh, sound quality, you know, just that clarity of embellishments, the good scale navigation, all that stuff falls into that. It, when a band is doing all of that well, it's crystal clear and, and, and awesome, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, guys, that's how I would break it down. That's how I listen to things. I've got my set of fundamentals that I know to be true, right? And then when I listen to a band, I, 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 test, I test what the band is doing against my ideal vision of what each of these fundamentals have to do with, right? Now, uh, bad judging is when there is no real objective um, list that a judge uses to evaluate a band. And when they just sort of go out there and wing it and use subjective things that change from day to day that they cannot define, for me, that's an example of irresponsible judging. Now, granted, that's a perfectly acceptable way to enjoy and listen to pipe bands. But where I have a problem with a lot of judging is when, you, when uh, opinions change from day to day, they blow with the wind, and there's no objective foothold. Right. You know, now, now, like, and here's the thing. I have my list of fundamentals, and I've thought about these a lot, and I think they're really good. I use them when I perform. People might have different viewpoints on the fundamentals. I think that's perfectly fine and perfectly good. But what is the view of the fundamentals? Do you actually have a view? Is it objective? Is it consistent? Right? And then you can judge against those things. I think the best judges are the ones who have their objective uh, fundamental rules that must be true about performance. And then they and then they judge based on based on those views. Yeah, I, I mean, and if you if what you say is true, um, you should not have much of a deviation judge to judge. I'm willing to accept human beings having different viewpoints on different things, but at the same time, if those standards exist and they are sort of qualified in every judge's mind, and hopefully because they've had the training and the sort of background necessary to apply it, the judging should be pretty consistent with most bands if they're playing the same way every time out, uh, which a lot, of, especially a lot of the great one bands seem to do pretty well. So, you know, with small deviations, you should see small deviations in scoring as well. Um, Gary, that um, does not seem to be the case, which is... Yeah, it, it doesn't, right? No. I agree. There should be a trend. And so, uh, sometimes you can struggle to see the trend. Gary says, it sounds like I am demanding that judges should have a foundation which can be shown upon request. Uh, I'm not <laughs> demanding that. Here's what, here's, what I think would be, here's what I think would be the right solution, which would be uh, when judges produce score sheets, the score sheets should have indications as to what uh, fundamental things were not in place that caused them to get the result that they got. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, if, you, if you're the best band, there should be indications as to what you were doing well uh, that uh, gave, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's shocking how rare that is mm -hmm. to get a score sheet where it gives you, based on someone's objective set of fundamentals, right, it's shocking how rare it is to get a score sheet that says, based on the way I look at piping, you need to improve the following fundamental areas of your playing in order to win the contest next time. Mm -hmm. I, I think there should be a there should be a, um, a how to win. There should be a how to win clause re uh, required for every score sheet, right? So you did not win today. Here's what you need to do to win next time, based on uh, you know some objective standards, right? I mean, and, you know, and here and here's where that would be helpful, right? And you have to wonder, you know, what's going through the minds of uh, you know Richard Parks, right, and, and Field Marshal. They, you know, 
at the European Championships just this past weekend, right? Their ensemble and drumming scores were not good. So realistically, should the judge's score sheet actually say something to that effect? Because in the past and every time out in years, over a period of years, it's been awesome. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. so it's not like the trend doesn't exist, like the, the track record is there. So when it's not awesome, you better have a really clear explanation why it's not awesome. Maybe that's yeah, you know, I, uh, I want to continue to defend myself against Gary. I am also not saying that I want a common or accepted score sheet. In my opinion, the common accepted score sheet should be a piece of paper with the name of the performer at the top, right? Judges can write whatever they want. Frankly, I wish I could use my laptop and just type some comments out. It's just, I think there should be certain elements required on a sheet, just out of common sense. Like, mm -hmm. what did Field Marshall do to merit seventh in drumming? Right. I highly doubt there's anything of worth on that sheet. Or if there is, congratulations to uh, the drumming judge. Yeah. It's just in my experience, right? In my experience, one day, uh, you know, or a good example is uh, when Oren Moore played at the Worlds in 2008, we had third and two thirds in piping, a third in drumming, and an eighth in ensemble. There was nothing. There was nothing on the sheet that I can recall that told us what we needed to do uh, to improve our result in the ensemble. Meanwhile, had we had third in ensemble, as we did in the other three categories, we would have won the worlds in grade two, mm -hmm. uh, because the the bands that uh, were ahead of us had had wide ranging scores as well, and that's the way the math would have worked out. So it sure would have been nice to know, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and so when a band comes off with with that kind of scoring, I mean, they either knew what happened when they were out on the field to have deserved that score, and maybe they did. You know, I mean, I listened to it. I'm not, I'm not listening for, don't know much about drumming, but it didn't seem like it was any worse than <laughs> any of their other performances. Um, but other than that, there there's nothing on the sheet. They're left guessing. You know, they come up with things like, well, it was a little maybe a little untidy here and there, but you know they're left with just, okay, well, let's just improve that next time. Do you think that will actually get us, you know, first, like it hasn't passed? You know, that's a pretty big leap, you know, from seventh to first. Um, let's see. Bruce says, keep in mind judges have a short window to write many comments. Um, that's true, but if that, uh, you know, with the understanding that that's the case, uh, you should start by writing why it is you were seventh is as opposed to the usual first place you know you know what i mean like that that information has to be on there like what was it um somehow that information has to be on there gary says what do i have against Lickett scales for each of the six of above good fundamentals and in good unison i don't have anything against it i might include that on my score sheet but i'm not about to legislate what everybody has to have on their score sheet and a lot of judges do that a lot of, a lot of judges have that that list, they yeah. use that. As I have my receipt. You know, they, yeah. and mark scores, put check marks, whatever. They, they have a, everybody's got their own little technique to keep track of multiple competitors in these categories. So. Yeah. I don't have anything against it. I'm just against legislating. I, I, I hate, um, you know, I don't think you need to complicate the issue. Um, I think, you know, I, I would be a strong advocate for scoring like they do in figure skating. Like, here was your score in this category, give it a number. Here's a score in that category. Here's a score in that category. And now it amounts to your final score. And then you don't need comments, right? You can actually see, based on the numbers, where you are, where you are behind the eight ball. You know, like, and that, for that example, might not even be necessarily the, the whole score. That could be a, a portion of, this, of, their, of their score, right? That could be a portion of the evaluation, which could be clearly yeah. seen by the competitor. And, you know, the, the like, other uh, portion could be more subjective, more taste-based kind of evaluations yeah. or something. And then you could see, then you could see, uh, so and so had us low in point score for, um, you know, drum core to pipe core integration. So now I know exactly what I need to work on for next time in order to improve. Which is exactly why, which is exactly why we should throw out the dumb system that we have now. Yes, I said dumb, D-U-M-B, the dumb system that we have now, and we should go with the smart system that other. Um, that all other successful art forms use to adjudicate uh, performances mm -hmm. like figure skating, GCI, Bagad, etc. Right? Scores out of score scores out of ten or scores out of a hundred that are compiled to produce the final score. Right. Because then, then you're rewarded, you know, for the things that you would be listening for as a as a as an audience member and appreciating the performance, you know, 
would be rewarded. You know, those things that sort of please you as a, as a listener would also be rewarded in, in the score, final scoring of the, of the band contest, right. you know. Olympic figure skating, Nate is saying, used to have 10 judges and they threw out the top and bottom scores. I love that, right? That's amazing. It's perfect. Um, not only, uh, DCI has that as well. For those who wonder what DCI is, that's um, Drum Corps International. It's the big, giant uh, drum and bugle uh, choreography cores that they have here. Yeah, marching band type stuff. Yeah, tons of judges throw out the outliers, come mm -hmm. out with a result, and then guess what? I have a numerical spreadsheet I can look at now, and I and, could say, ooh, the, looks the like... The beauty of that system, even, even the figure skating is kind of like not a great example, really, but if you look at the DCI scoring, so judging system, as well as the Bagad system, right, at the Bagad championships, each judge has a specific job. You know, their job yeah. is to judge certain components of that of that performance. And that's that's the score, right? So if if you do really well, if your sort of, you know, bagpipe section is doing really well, but everyone else is just sort of stinking up the stage, you know, the bagpipe judge is going to give you a really high score, but the other judges aren't going to give you such high score. So it's, you know, the whole thing, everybody's got that sort of discipline that they're applying, which across the, the field is going to come out hopefully with the best man overall, you know, across. James the says, category. this is great. James says DCI is dull and uninteresting and really not creative except for marching. Wow. That is a, that wow. is a, it's a, it's ironic to have that opinion and then like pipe bands. <laughs> it is. Uh, now, um, and then like, see DCI has um, in, you know, uh, DCI like, pays money to hire writers and choreographers and then pipe bands walk in they play the exact same thing almost to the letter every single time we stand in a circle with our backs to the audience um, and it's all homegrown too we don't actually you know most part no one's hiring you know yeah. rangers and everything else you know do yeah, it not, let me clarify DIY. let me clarify james I, I i mean i totally support you having that opinion i'm not trying to bash it and uh but uh, we all wonder why people uh, aren't interested in uh, pipe bands either. And it's the same sort of thing. And there's an element of that, I think, no matter what. There's an element of that no matter what when it comes to, um, you know, from the actual uneducated audience's perspective, uh, this stuff is really boring, uninteresting. <laughs> it certainly can be. You know, you start scratching your head. If you, if you sort of, if you can step out of it for a while, if you're listening and you're sort of enjoying yourself, you, for a minute, just one for one minute, one part, just step out and say, like, why do why do I enjoy this? <laughs> you know, like, why is this interesting? Careful, me, you know? no, don't do that. <laughs> no, well, well, it's a good exercise. Like, then, yeah. then you come back and then get into like, you know, the whole, you know, the slow air that's going on. It's like, okay, that's nice. Okay, now I know why. <laughs> James says they don't understand the music. I think that's a tall accusation of DCI. Um, <clears throat> considering the fact that like DCI has a enormous following hundreds and thousands of audience members um, yeah. in one country well here's, here's i'm going to make a, you know, a broad sort of proclamation here if we all as appreciators as an as audience members of pipe bands sort of configure our appreciation in the you know sort of ways i guess if you want to use andrew's list there up on the board or even make up your own as long as you've got one the more we apply that to our own listening, the more it's demanded of the performers, and the more we sort of integrate that into our own performances as bands, you know, and, and as individuals, in which case then the whole thing cycles around to the point where maybe, just maybe, the judging would also shift as well, as more and more is demanded in the, in the band circle. I definitely see that. More accountability. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely too much sort of like I think that too much power is placed in the adjudicator's hand because the audience really doesn't know how to listen. It's and unchecked. It's unchecked power. Like I'm all about the adjudicators, but it's like if someone is going to sink my band, right? And it could be for it could be for reasons that are valid. Um, I would argue occasionally it's for reasons that are not valid. But if someone is going to sink my effort in the results. There needs to be more accountability. The only accountability that exists now uh, is in the USPBA where we compete is simply word of mouth, right? Um, the breakdowns are not published, or if they are, it's months after the event, right, or weeks right. later, whenever they manage to get them up on the site. The RSPBA is better about it, but like, you know, in most other competitive art forms, the judges put the result up 
um, as you go on the fly and they're accountable for those results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, and, and I think it comes down to just people too, right? I mean, I think if we all sort of improve our listening skills and educate ourselves to be good listeners, I think then the judges then become more accountable for a decision like a second and a tenth in piping, you know? So you and have to really... Also, yeah. You, and we would also inherently be educated, right? With more, um, with more um, transparency, right? The audience would subsequently become more educated as to what they should be listening for, right? right? When, when results are always a mystery, the audience doesn't know what to think. Mm -hmm. uh, or, we're or we're conditioned to just sort of accept whatever the judges say and say, oh, well, that, that's what they heard on the field. How would I know any better sitting in the crowd listening? But you do a lot of the times. <laughs> and you can, I think. And, and, and I think even if you can't all the way, you can, you can to a certain extent that influences everything else. So, you know, I think that's, that's our job as sort of enthusiasts is to listen better and have a better outlook on things to demand more of bands and judges, you know, um, I, and I, like I was going to say before, I, I definitely see, I definitely hear this now in the grade one bands this season, have, it's, there's definitely a trend in terms of musical uh, presentation. You know, there's definitely, there's a movement, especially in MSRs, I think, um, I think that's really good. <laughs> you know, I think it's really exciting. It's makes it, it sort of rejuvenated, it's rejuvenating the MSR sort of format. Um, but I wonder how, you know, the, how that will be received over time in the adjudicating panels that exist out there in the world, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Here's uh, some more comments here. Uh, some more comments. Gary says, if you accept the proposition that each judge is a competent judge with his or her own unique criteria of what is good or best, uh, then you don't have to have common standards nor to have accountability. Okay, uh, I don't really accept that proposition. Um, nor do I think that you have to conform to a certain set of standards in order to be held accountable for a result, mm -hmm. right? For example, what's more important, instrument sound or finger work? Is there a correct answer to that question? I don't think there is a correct answer. I think you could have a different set of criteria or a different way of weighting certain things, right? I think that's okay. I'm not obsessed with that. I think... Um, yeah. I think and certainly, the reason certainly bands will definitely, you know, fall in, in a contest, you know, having excellent finger work, but maybe their sound quality wasn't the same as other bands or as good. Um, they'll certainly fall in the mix wherever that ends up because that thing was not as perfect as the other bands, um, even in, in light of other things, you know. Yeah. Some judges are really senile and don't belong on the field. <laughs> Um, okay, that's um, that's definitely an interesting opinion. Uh, I um, I will agree along the lines of some judges are not currently qualified to be judges. I will agree with that. However, um, when you have no real system uh, like we do in the USPBA, when you have no consistent objective system for certifying adjudicators, um, what else do you expect? So. Uh, you know, we need to solve that problem before that problem will go away. Um, and then Kevin says, do judges have to be retested periodically? That is a loaded question. Uh, should judges have to be tested in order to become judges? Like, I, I'm along the lines of, I, uh, that's a whole different can of worms. Let's not even go there today. Uh, I don't but think the answer is right now in the world, no, <laughs> is, is the answer right now. The answer is sort of. The answer is sort of. In the USPBA, some judges have to be tested. Um, some judges have been grandfathered in. Um, never would they dare uh, have any recertification program. Uh, um, this is the end of the show, so I can maybe get away with griping about that a little bit. Um, yeah, Kevin Kansas, the Celtic Classic in Pennsylvania explains the music private. They do. They actually, uh, in the program, and I think they, they even announced this, um, you know, during the contest, they actually give the audience like the criteria, the basic criteria that the judge is going to be yeah. listening for in each performance, which is kind of cool. Very cool. So it's a, it's, it's not a debate that I, um, it's not a de debate that has any definitive answers, but there are so many measures that could be taken uh, to improve the way that, um, to improve the way that bands are adjudicated and to, and to improve how, um, to improve uh, 
um, how to explain adjudication, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really the question everybody's left with is, you know, when they listen to it. Even, even if you are an educated listener, when you see a contest where the scores, you know, from all the judges are wildly all over the place and you have, you know, firsts and sevenths in piping and then you have an eighth in drumming and a first in ensemble, like things like that are mystifying. Like it, it, it makes you question exactly whether or not anybody knows anything. <laughs> yourself included, you know, and uh, and I think it, those kinds of explanations, I think, would help. I think if we sort of all were on the same page, right, if the audience was educated and, you know, the, the adjudicators knew that, they'd be more inclined to sort of follow along what they, you know, I don't know, do a better job. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to slam judges when they do that kind of stuff, but those kinds of things are disconcerting when you have supposed professionals on the field whose job it is to accurately assess pipe band performance, you know? So I will applaud, I will applaud the USPBA on one point, which is it would appear they've simplified the score sheets um, since, uh, since last year, which is pretty cool. Yeah, like uh, the, band, yeah. the band score sheets that we got recently um, were nice and simple, like name of band at top of sheets, a couple of mild-mannered checkboxes, <laughs> but mostly like, but mostly writing space, which which I approve of, right? That gives each judge the ability to use their own objective set of criteria. Right. Yeah, I now, think the solo sheets have been rearranged as well. I think I think gone are like the the scale box. I think at the top where the you know they had. Oh, I think those are still there. Are they still there? You can still use the scale box. Yeah. Oh, can you? Yeah. I haven't had any use the scale box. So, but that leads me to believe that that's more of a, a subjective kind of thing. Too, you know, I guess I don't know um, whether or not the judge thinks that you know your chanter sounds good or not. Yeah, James is a big John Wilson fan, uh, and says he wrote about this in the Piper and Dancer Bulletin 40 years ago, and said the same thing we're saying today. Yeah. How far <laughs> have we come? Well, <laughs> oh man, it's, it's like it, the fact that these conversations come up again at all is is like I think evidence that you know they haven't come very far, really. You know. Um, I want to have the discussion, like, but sometime before, sometime before I die, I'd love to have the discussion. Have we become too objective in our adjudication? <laughs> I want to have, I want to have that personal style into the mix and into the adjudicating. You know. Yeah, like, have things become too mechanical and robotic? <laughs> Let's have that conversation. There you go. <laughs> Is the way. Does the way we certify adjudicators, you know, is it is it too structured and rigid? <laughs> oh man, wow! That's a, I, I want to have that next year at this time, right? I think we will probably be able to have that discussion. Yeah, we could, yes. we could, we could. One day, maybe, maybe there'll be an algorithm design where you know, instead of you know, there'll be adjudicators on the field, but also a giant microphone. Which would be capturing the entire performance and, and the, sure. the waveform will be analyzed for unison and and sound quality and things like that on on, on sort of defined parameters. You know. Absolutely. It's interesting. You know how they do. This is the last point I'll make. Then we got to wrap it up. You know how they do. They have those little uh, when they test people for like commercials and movies. They have those little dials, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, yeah. and you respond you respond to whether or not you're liking what's going on or not liking mm-hmm. it with this yeah. dial, and then they map oh, the results. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I wonder if you could do that with like a set of semi-educated pipe band listeners, and you that could, could be well, part of your score. That's like a two that's like a two-tiered judging system, right? You have adjudicators adjudicators on the field, but then you have a panel of sort of selected, um, you know sort of not fully certified judges, but people who are selected based on some sort of screening process, yeah, sitting like there on a panel a, and using the little dials and just sort of sitting there in the audience, you know, listening, you know, and just and then yeah, like, engaging. Ooh, I really like this. Ooh, I don't like that. Ooh, nice. <laughs> totally. Yeah, and, every, and everybody's, you know, bar chart or, you know, little sort of waveform will be analyzed. Oh, look, they, they reached these peaks here. And they totally. didn't do so well. The dips here are too low. I don't think they deserve first. <laughs> Yeah, but then you could say, okay, overall enjoyment was X. Yeah. Uh, exactly. and, uh, 
But you, you see the, tre- the trend see, uh, in excitement through a medley. How about that would be cool, right? You see the trend of excitement. Like it starts off like here, and then suddenly it's like you can, you can trace the trend as, as the excitement builds. That would be cool. Now, see, I finally agree with Gary. Let's just have the judges use the dials <laughs> and then show, the, show it to the audience in real time. All right. <laughs> on that note, on that note, on the note of me agreeing with Gary, <laughs> I just, uh, that's a joke, of course. I, uh, we really value everyone's opinion, even those who think uh, that DCI is terrible and boring. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, you're entitled to that opinion. I know many, many pipe band folks who would agree with that. Um, yeah. I, I'm, well, I did, I'm see, fascinated I did see a video of the Top Secret Drum Corps recently, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool. All right, guys. Let's wrap it up. Good show. Good fun show. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, by the way, our Fingerwork Fundamentals course is now available at DojoU. So uh, if you have any uh, questions or you want to learn more about our system of fundamentally We lost him. I think that may have been a mistake. Anyway, I will part ways with all of you. Have a good day. Um, thanks. I'm for back. I've made back. it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right in the middle of your pitch. Oh yeah, fingerwork fundamentals. Uh, use the courses drop down at dojouniversity.com and check that out. Okay, we'll see you later, everybody. All right. Have a good day. <laughs>